What are you up to right now? Working Fans Podcast. Cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. Welcome back for another week of the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer Joe may, likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter, that's at FansWorking, Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms, including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Hello, everybody. We're the Von Erichs. I'm Marshall Von Erich. I'm Ross Von Erich. And you're listening to the Working Fans Podcast. All right, everybody, it's the Working Fans Podcast. It's your fan, Dave. Here today, I got a couple good ones on. They are third-generation wrestlers. They are the grandsons of the legendary Fritz Von Erich and the sons of the legendary Kevin Von Erich. They are also the MLW World Tag Team Champions. Ross and Marshall Von Erich, guys, how you doing? Oh, good. What an intro, man. I'm, I'm pumped now. Thank you so much. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Yeah, we're happy to be on the show. Awesome, man. Awesome. So I want to start off in the beginning. When you guys were growing up, how long before you knew, like, what a big deal your family was in Texas? And, you know, going in school, too, was there ever any, like, jealousy from other people? Or was everybody good to you? Like, how was that growing up, being a Von Eric? You know, some of my earliest memories, this is Ross, by the way, some of my earliest memories of going to the shows with my with my dad, you know, my, I'd be with my mom in the, in the stands or whatever, behind the, you know, in the back. And then I just, you know, I remember leaving shows and then fans, you know, crowding the cars, we'd leave. But it was just normal, you know, I never had anything to really compare it to. And then, uh, and then I went to the same school as my, my Uncle Carrie, my dad, my uncle, all my uncles. And I had the same, you know, third grade chief, you know, so small, small town kind of thing. And, you know, and it kind of goes both ways, you know, like everybody kind of, everybody knows, you know, the name Atkinson, there's, you know, affiliated with Von Eric. And, you know, it, so sometimes, you know, you'll get a ton of favor, you know, and they'll treat you great. And other times, you know, they treat you like, you know, you don't exist or, you know, you're, you're annoying or whatever. Yeah, there's definitely pros and cons. It, it's, yeah, sometimes that if, if the teachers, well, we, we, it kind of trained us as adults. To, to try to come off as non-intimidating as possible because, you know, sometimes if people thought we were going to be entitled or snobby when they first met us, because we're both pretty quiet, and so sometimes I can come off as snobby, and, and so we, we would we, we'd try our best not to, but, yeah, the good old yes ma'am, no, or, and yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir, that, that, that goes a long way. Kill them with <laughs> kindness, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> You guys broke in. I saw that you were uh, you trained with your dad, obviously, but you also trained with Harley Race. Is that a fact? 
That's right. That's right. 2012 is uh, when our when everything started for us. Uh, Harley Race had a wrestling academy, and uh, we were both playing football. Um, you know, wrestling was always a, a dream of ours, especially younger, because of course we just wanted to be like our dad. Our dad is just a, a great father, a great role model. And, yeah, we grew up watching you know the old world class tapes and stuff, and we'd be wrestling each other the whole time we we're watching. You know, jumping all over the bed. It, it didn't matter where we were. We'd be Walmart, Home Depot, or wrestling in line and. And so it was just kind of what we were so used to. And then um, actually have the opportunity to go and, and uh, go to a school and really see what we're made of and, and, and compare yourself to other guys that have been doing this a long time. It was, it was just, it was really, really awesome. So we went to the Harley Race uh, camp and that's when uh, we got invited to Pro Wrestling Noah. There, it was uh, some t- uh, two, two scouts were there and they brought us to Pro Wrestling Noah or invited us after and so we didn't really know what we were in for, but I think now, personally, knows that one of the best things we could have done for our career. My dad, but my dad, it was his way of you know putting us in the fire, and you know it was we definitely didn't have anything handed to us over there. It was you know we we started off our first three months with just bumps, and, and it was all about learning to respect the business, and um, it gave a, it just gave us a whole new perspective of wrestling, and it was great for us. In your guys' time in Japan, did you find that to be a more uh, physical style as well? Oh, most definitely, yeah, most yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Japan. You know, it's the you know any preconceived notions we you know we thought we had about you know wrestling. You know, because we're both you know athletes trying you know looking to go to you know further careers and high school, college athletics. And so, any preconceived notions we had about it being like hokey or whatever, you know, American style, whatever. It totally changed in Japan, you know, with the hard hitting and the, you know, everyone wearing mouthpieces. And our our, our our first day there, we went to a show at Kurikan Hall to, to kind of watch the product. And we were watching these guys put mouthpieces in, right? What is that all about? Yeah. And then these guys were just killing each other. I, I, I saw one of the guys lose a tooth and then over an elbow exchange. And mm. we were sitting there after the show with my dad and like, did you, did you just see that? And he's like, welcome to Japan. <laughs> so it was... It was just, you know, but it, but it made us closer as brothers. We've always been, we've always been really close, but it definitely made us closer, closer as brothers. We had, to have, we had to have each other's back no matter what, and we just didn't, you know. The, in Japan, you got to earn everything, and it's it's uh, just because of your name, they'll be harder on you um, if you're third generation because you know they they, they don't want they just don't want to, they don't want to take the easy route, and so you know, I, I, and it, you know, it's all about respect over there, and I think. Out of respect, they were, in a way they were they were harder on us, you know. We, you know, and it really helped us. Looking back, I'm thankful for you know uh, Segura, all the all the guys that were you know rough and tough with us, you know. So you know, now we look back and we're grateful for it, and we feel like we grew a lot from it. Yeah. A question specifically for Marshall: Did you start off barefoot, or was that something you decided you wanted to do to honor your dad? How did that come about, and what was the adjustment like? So, so I've always um, I've always been. Barefoot. I just, I just hate shoes, and I've definitely picked that up from my dad. And you know, it's less weird living in Hawaii, but going into like uh, not getting looked down upon for having dirty feet. So I'm always, you know, never wearing shoes. But when we went to the Harley Race Academy, my dad was trying to make me buy some wrestling shoes, and I just hated them so much. I was getting blisters, and I was trying to break them in a couple of days before we went. And I got to the school. They said, you know, re- uh, train and whatever you're gonna you're gonna wrestle in. And I, and I told them I wanted to be bare feet, barefoot. And I that was the best decision for me because also it just uh, I like to travel light, and so I can just throw my trunks in my back pocket, and I'm ready. I can take my trade wherever I go. 
That's awesome. Given, you know, obviously the up and downs of the Von Erich legacy and everything that happened, do you guys feel any pressure right now carrying on the Von Erich legacy? Is that something that, you know, weighs on the back of your mind? Or is that something you guys, you know, you're just doing you right now? How does that work? You know, it's, it's, it's I would say it's, it's just all about perspective, how you look at it. And I don't mean to sound preachy, preachy or anything, but, you know, before anything, you know, we're Christians and, our, and we, we, we put our, you know, we've, God has opened this door in wrestling and, and everything that's, that's, that's come about. And so we, we really haven't tried to force anything to happen. We really just let the doors open because any door I've tried to open has, has shut in my face, whether it be football, track and field, whatever it be. And then wrestling is the only door that stayed, stayed open. And that was a dream of mine when I was a kid, but I kind of let it go because I didn't know, you know, that's, that's a big dream. And I don't know. It was just, it was just weird how the wrestling door stayed open, but yet, um, at first, being young, I could definitely see just how how the wrestling fans looked at my dad in Texas, Israel, and like all these places. How they had such a respect for him, and seeing what my grandfather and my uncles did. And so, for us as brothers, we go out there, and as soon as the bell rings, we are we're going to give it everything that we have due to you know due to the blood, sweat, and tears of my uncles and our family have done to the name. And so we feel like we wouldn't be doing it justice if we didn't go all out. But I, we don't look at it, at it as really pressure, really, because you know God has us here for a reason, and so we're we, we really are just we're, we're we're going through the doors that he that he opens. But it's been it's just been a just a magnificent ride with my brother. We get to travel the world, and it's you know to know that you know the pressure is not on me. When it's over, God, God will close the door, and the door hasn't shut. So we're just gonna keep we're gonna keep on going. We haven't really we haven't really tried to push anything to happen. All this stuff, MLW, all it all it all this came up we, we, we didn't send him any tapes or anything it was just you know one step at a time and we, we definitely went through a stagnant part of we started doing indie shows in, in the in the mainland and we didn't want to go to wwe so we weren't really sure where what we were supposed to do but you know the door didn't shut and so we just you know we were just trying to stay faithful keep even if there was you know 12 people in the crowd go out there and wrestle like it's a it's a main event you know wrestle or just give it all we have it's you know and uh Eventually, MLW reached out to us with the perfect, uh, perfect plan for us, the perfect situation scenario that, that that we could work with, which was live in Hawaii and and you know and, and wrestle, uh, be a professional wrestler. And, and a lot of companies wouldn't work with that because you know living in Hawaii, it's it's, it's expensive ticket, it's far away. They want us to move and learning a little bit of what my dad's my dad's story. You know, family is important. Family is everything. That's where you know we draw a lot of our strength. And so. Especially while my dad's in his latter days, we love spending this time all on the same island. We go to each other's houses every day, and and it's uh, we're just making the most of it during this time. But it, it's 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 a it really is a it's a it's a beautiful, awesome life. I couldn't be happier. I'm glad God shut the doors that He needed to shut because if if it were up to me, I would have been a car salesman or I don't know, I don't know something else. Well, I'm glad you guys are doing what you're doing. Now, one thing else I want to ask you about before I get into MLW. Is well, two things. One, you got to wrestle with your dad in Israel, I see, which I'm assuming was a really big deal. I want to hear a little bit about that, but also Israel, because for whatever reason, the Von Eriks have been hugely over in Israel. Little insight into that, and then what was it like teaming up with your dad? Yeah, so so in the eighties, they the Israel only had they had one TV station hmm. that, that 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 would play, and so and and World Class was on it, and you know, and there, so. You know, every day during it would come on like right at their. It was like their Shabbat every on every Saturday at seven o'clock is like 
when they were allowed to like watch TV and relax again or whatever and stuff. And so, and they had just had that one channel. So I think it's the only time in history that this is what I heard from some Israelis over there. The only time in history that any, anything has ever had a hundred percent ratings, you know? And so it was like, it it was a a part of, you know, so many people's, you know, lives growing up a part of, yeah, yeah. You know, after Shabbat, we watched the Von Erich, you know, it's just like, it was like almost tradition, you know, it was Mm. for for that, you know, for that little period of time. And it just, and those people carried it with them. And so, you know, now here we are today, you know, and still have a great relationship. And my dad and all of us were lucky enough to get, and, and, you know, somebody came up with the idea to, you know, one more match for my dad in Israel. And, and, you know, my, my dad, my dad didn't have any plans to have a retirement match. He, he, ne- he never did, but he said if he ever did it, it would be, you know, either Dallas or, or Israel. And, uh, you know, and my, and my dad didn't know the magnitude of Israel until, yeah, in the eighties he went. He went down there, and uh, and he, yeah, he, they just heard they had great TV ratings, and so my dad, you know, was like, "What? The real Israel? They, they, they're on Eric fans? Are you serious?" And we've always been fans of Israel, and he said that he got there, and there is just the the one time that he that he's gotten weak in his knees from the sea of people, and he said that it was the biggest crowd he's ever seen, and he got out of the plane. And the guards were saying, this is for you. They're here because of you. And my dad couldn't believe it. And they told him, don't look up. Don't make eye contact. Because they don't want to make any, you know, they don't want to have an uproar in the crowd. If he gets the crowd hot, then there's because there's barricades up. And so as he's walking through the barricade, he waved at, uh, waved at like a lady that was, that was yelling for him. And he said, as soon as he waved, the barricade started shaking and, and moving, and he said the ground rumbled. Uh-huh. And so the, 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 guard, the guards picked him up over his shoulder. He thought he was in trouble, and they ran him to the police station. And uh, he said all day, they sat there and watched world-class tapes for about three or four hours until the crowd died, the crowd died down. And that's when he knew that, that there was just there was something big going on, something special going on in Israel. And it, it, was, uh, you know, it, was, it was just unreal. And the fact that we got to go there with my dad, and have his retirement match. It was just so many bucket list dream come true at one time. It was, it was unreal. It really was unreal. I got to sit in there. It was a, you know, the first time in a long time that three Von Erics were in the same ring and sitting there learning with my dad. It was like a training session. We got to, we were sitting there talking about moves. My dad was like, hey, well, what should I do here? And he'd get tag it until we'd tag him in. And he, yeah, I remember we'd literally be in the corner, you know, and he's, he's you know, giving us advice and, and, uh, you know, saying, telling me what I should do next time I'm tagged in and, you know, tag me, that kind of stuff. And I was, I was just, and I was just th- kind of stepping back. I'm like, I'm going to look back one day and just think this is really surreal. There was a one moment in the match where I'm like, this is just a really surreal moment right now. And it was the first time our nieces and nephews ever watched us wrestle live. Cause we brought the entire family. All 20 of us were there. And so our nieces and nephews, my brother-in-laws, my sister, everybody was there to, to see it. And it was just. You know, it was like time stood still. I look over to the left, and my family's in the front row. And I look to my right, and my dad sit on the apron with me. It was just, it was just, I, I couldn't describe it. But there was definitely a lot of, there was a lot of speed bumps in the road. My dad had the flu the day of the show. We all had a stomach virus on the plane. It was, it was, it was definitely a test. But it, I don't know, as soon as that bell rang, rang, my dad just, my dad, like I was saying, he's a good role model. He. He just, he like nipped up. He's like, all right, boys, let's go. And, it, and that stranglehold came on and the place roared. It was just, it was just so, so, so cool. That's awesome. I'm glad I asked you guys that. That's a great story, too, with your dad in Israel, too. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. So, you know, I saw the Dark Side of the Ring documentary last year. And, you know, the ending with you guys all hanging out with your dad, I remember thinking personally, I was like, really? 
Love to see these kids get a shot in wrestling. And then I saw MLW, because I've been following them for a while, announced that you'd be coming. And I was like, all right. But man, to me, as a fan that watches that product, I don't think they could handle you guys any better. What has it been like working from MLW? And who are some of the people helping you out behind the scenes? You know, you know, we always knew that the, the perfect thing would... would uh, we would know it was the perfect thing when we're able to, to stay here in Hawaii, you know, with our family and stuff and then, and, you know, have a promotion, you know, work with us and, you know, fly us out and do all that kind of stuff. And MLW was, you know, you know, we got an offers, you know, to, to move and, you know, work with other, you know, pretty big companies, you know, and we feel like this is MLW came in at just like the, there was a perfect time. Court Bauer, that guy, that's, he's, he's one of, he's one of my, my favorite guys to work for. He came and he's, he saw something in us that we didn't really see in ourselves yet. We were just going through the doors that opened and Court, he, he, he said that, you know, he, he said that he, he just, he believed in us. And then when he brought us in, I don't know, it was like he like knew what was going to happen before it happened. He, he like, he'd like see the future or something. That's what it felt like because he was telling us how big it was going to be. And, and he was right. It was just getting bigger and bigger. And it was just uh, him bringing in at that timing, right after the, the right after the Vice thing. He was uh, he was talking to us before the Vice thing aired, and before we even talked to Vice. And so it was, but it was just perfect timing because we finally came up with an agreement of you know staying in Hawaii and 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 working with them. And then the Vice thing came out right before our debut. And so that timing of that was just unreal. But we really could not not be happier with the promotion we're at and the guys in the locker room, we got like a brotherhood in the locker room. These guys, everybody really does love each other. It really is like a, it really is like a family. I'm sure people, everybody's pulling for each other. Everybody wants MLW to look good and, and, and do well. And, and there's this guy like low key, low key. We've been getting advice from him for, you know, for years in Japan, you know, we used to sit down with him, uh, sit down and have coffee with him and just, just, yeah, just pick his brain. Cause he's one of our favorite wrestlers. Uh, when we started going to Japan, and it was just cool to see, you know, an, an American fight with the same ruthless mentality as the Japanese, and you, know, you see a lot of the Americans kind of lighten up on the Japanese, and low-key would just give it to them, and, and that, that's what we, like, respected, and that's what we wanted to do, and, and so, so to, to, to be able to be in the locker room with low-key again was just, like, unreal for us, and, you know, there's, we just, we've made good, bro- like, brotherhoods with a lot of the guys, Harry Smith, uh, Brian Tolman Jr. is one of our, one of our good buddies now. Uh, Douglas James. There's so many guys in, in the in the locker room that you know that that's it's just been it's been surreal. And then we, we've also we were also good buddies with Tom Lawler before all this. We trained together and we pick his brain. He gives us a, a he was giving us a good perspective of, of just the fighting world and to bring that into wrestling. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to we wanted we want our 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 style to be. It's unusual and like a bar fight, like a bar fight. Really, that's what we're going for. And and and, and these guys just these guys are just awesome to, to just to pick their brains and, and work with. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I like too is the music they have you come out to. It's very reminiscent of Stranglehold. And yeah, yeah, we love that. Yeah, we're stoked for that. Yeah, it's awesome. And then, like, you know, like, the way you guys debuted and, uh, you know, fighting with Contra and there's these brawls. Like you said, it looked like a bar fight. I remember the first time um, you guys were in there with Contra, and I just saw this wild fight happening. And I'm like, well, I texted a buddy of mine. I was like, this is the damnedest thing I've seen in a while. You have to watch this. But, uh... Yeah, it was definitely unique. I, like, like, after the match, I remember thinking, like, did that go, like, really well, or did it go terrible? Like, we, would, we didn't know. <laughs> we had no kind of feeling of how, how, how it went, you know, but we got in the back and, you know, 
support was like, you know, welcome to MLW. You know, he was he was happy with it. You know, I'm like, okay, good. He's happy. We're happy. You know, but yeah, it was it was a def- definitely a weird a weird match. I feel like for a lot of the fans. Well, one thing I really liked was the placement. First ever pay-per-view. You guys are going against the Dynasty. You guys are like modern, just classic, old-school style baby faces. Real easy to get behind. And then the Dynasty, just absolute shit heels. <laughs> Nothing really believable <laughs> about them. Yeah. And so it's just great. It kind of reminds me of um, the old-school Von Eric Freebirds. And I remember your dad saying, this isn't uh, Texas versus Georgia. This is decency versus filth. And that's kind of what I thought yeah. with you guys versus the Dynasty. And I think it says a lot. <laughs> Court, I believed in you guys to put you on the very first match of the very first pay-per-view, and you get the straps. What was that all like? Oh, man. That, that was like a milestone in our careers. You know, I mean, as soon as we, we started talking, yeah, and it was in Chicago, a place that, you know, we've always dreamed about wrestling in, you know. But, uh, but before that, I remember going and just being like, or when we first, MLW first reached out to us, we were thinking, you know, one day, what a dream it would be to actually get the tag straps, you know, and it, and it, you know, came way sooner than we thought, and we were just way sooner. Yeah, you know, we felt a little, you know, unprepared or whatever, but, but I just remember the feeling of just total accomplishment and just being so. That was one of the high points of our career, definitely. And, and when uh, being in Chicago, not knowing if people were going to know our name or know who we are. Mm. That that was you know that that have that question mark, but I just know that you know nobody you know, nobody can deny or, or you can't get behind a guy that is all that he has. And so when we got in there and to hear the Chicago fans behind us, it was just like we looked at each other and it was just confirmation. All right, let's fight. It was it was it was just an amazing feeling. And yeah, to 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 win the belts after that was you know that whole night we were just sitting there, we just look at each other and start start laughing. We just couldn't believe it. Like man, this is. This is insane, you know, and, and still, like, it's, it's, as long as this, uh, I know we're in this quarantine and this COVID-19 stuff's going on right now, and, uh, but the, the longer we're in quarantine, I'm, I'm, we haven't got a chance to defend our titles in a while, but it's going to be, uh, I'm afraid we're going to be the longest reigning tag team champions uh, without having to defend our titles. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you guys mentioned Chicago, too, because, um, I've never been there, but I will say as an old school wrestling fan, that is an arena whenever WCW or even WWE or ECW went through, I'm like, man, that is just a wild, raucous crowd. They love their wrestling out there. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, they, really, they, they just appreciate the, the, the art of wrestling and, you know, it's, it was. It, it was it was just so so awesome, and it's, I can't say I can't say enough about Court Bauer. He really to us, you know, we feel like he's like the modern day Paul Heyman. You, you know, he ECW was full of you know misfits. They had a, a, a just problem childs, you know, uh, the men in the locker room, and that's kind of what you have at MLW. Guys that have been you know, kicked out of the locker room for fighting. It's just you know it, it's 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 uh, you know it's it, it's weird how. You, we, we, they, it was you put it all together, and you got this like uh, this family, and and, and you know, and, and Court Court Bowers, you know, is, is definitely just a great leader, a great guy to get behind, and he he, he gives us before before most of the shows, he'll give us a speech and just pump all of us up. We're ready to we'll run to a brick wall for this guy, you know, and and, and so it, it definitely gets everybody ready to go after right right before the show. Now, one more question about MLW Dallas, Texas. Uh, intimidation games. What was that like coming back home? I mean, you definitely seemed like you got so, quite the response. For, well, for us, that 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 was 
that meant so much to us because you know it, it was about um, about seven years ago we were uh, where you know we, we were being we were young boys in Japan and 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 doing the Japan thing and then uh, we we came to the uh, the mainland it was one of our one of our first shows in Texas and and we were in this little country town in the middle of nowhere it was Burleson Texas uh, or right like north of Burleson and. It was just a small country town, and uh, they had a sign for our main event tonight, the Von Erichs, and we were sitting there looking at that sign, and like, man, these people are coming to see us for the main event of this town tonight. And it wasn't a huge crowd, but that right there changed a lot of things for us, and it made us, you know, like, it, it was, you know, maybe that there's someone else behind all this, and it's, it's not just us. And, and, and that was really, that was a really heavy moment for, for both of us being the main event. And so for MLW to go to Dallas, it was, you know, it was our first time in Dallas, and 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 to to be Von Erichs and see that the MLW believes in us, believes believes in us enough to do a show in Dallas was just, it was, you know, it was unreal. Yeah, and you and, and you and you talk about pressure. You know, the the greatest amount of pressure is not from people say, oh, you, you know, you're, you can't accomplish this, or you'll never never be able to do that. It's when people believe in you, you know, and, and especially you're going back to Dallas, you know, and they put you in you know, a main event kind of style match, and you're, you're like, that, that is that is the greatest amount of pressure to us, you know. So for, as far as our career in MLW, that was our, our biggest uh, feat. I, 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 it's, easier, it's easier to have the mindset to want to prove people wrong, but when people believe in you and you want to prove them right, that that, that, that can be a lot of pressure too. And so mm-hmm. that, Dallas, that Dallas show was, you know, everybody was pulling for us, and, it, and you know, it was, it was definitely a, he- a heavy night for both of us, but when that bell rang, it just—it was—I it, don't know. I know it's as cheesy as it sounds. I really felt like all my uncles, my grandfather, everybody was watching it, and it—it was—it just made me so proud to be a Von Eric. You guys seem like you, uh, like a lot of performers, feed off the crowd. Have you seen any of these uh, empty arena matches? And how challenging, if you haven't been in one, do you imagine it is to work without fans? Well, we worked some indie shows that were, that, that were, that were, that were almost yeah, like that. They're borderline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> borderline. <laughs> you know, but uh, definitely the crowd helps so much. And, and um, you know, I think there's definitely pros and cons from it. Some guys, um, just from what I've seen, will still act like there's a crowd there when they fire up and things like that. But, you know, if there's not a crowd there, I think that we, we as all, all of us as wrestling fans, can really appreciate the art of wrestling. And, uh, you know, it, it, I, I don't think there needs to be as much showboating or anything. I think it's more, you know, this is just a, a fight, you know, in a, 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 a classic wrestling match. And so I, I, I'm, I, I've, I've enjoyed watching it just because, you know, it's, it's, it's just the, it's the, it's the, it's, the, it's unique. It's different. It's, the, it's just the classic art of wrestling. But the crowd, it definitely has a major factor in it for, I'd say for everybody because it's, it's you know if you if you have a new move you want to try or something or you just take that chance and you scream and give that give a lariat and the crowd's behind you it really is it it, it makes you it makes you want to do more and and you know want to give the people more and I, I definitely I I couldn't appreciate the the fans the MLW and just the, our fans the B Nation that that the support they give us it really is it's it's just that uh, having people believe in you. It, Makes you want to prove them right, everybody. What are you guys up to right now during this quarantine? Anything going on? Are you working on anything? Or so we've been we've been farming. We've been we've been on the the Varnett Ranch. Uh, we it's, it's about thirty seven acres, and it, it, there's we're, we're 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 all spread out. It's like a, a compound, and so we get to be in quarantine all together. So so that's been kind of nice. And we got a 
We've got a waterfall that um, we go to as a family. We'll jump in and spend time together. And it's definitely been, you know, my nieces and nephews are growing up and they've been going to school. And so it's it, it, I'm, it's kind of like time standing still for a little bit. I get to, I get to rekindle relationships with my ne- nephews and nieces. I just had a son and I'm getting to spend all this time with them. So I really am nothing but grateful. And it really, it's been one of the best things that's happened for our family. But my heart goes out to everybody that's, you know, lost family members and, and that, that are taking this hard. And, and it's, it's definitely not, it's definitely a serious, it definitely is a serious, serious matter. But the, uh, as far as the quarantine goes, what we really, we've been we're trying to make the most of it. And, you know, but we do miss wrestling. I can't wait to get back in that ring. I, it's, it's all I think about, all I dream about. Absolutely, man. And I mean, I can I can relate, you know, like we got it pretty rough over here, but I'm in a pretty good area, but I'm still working. Business is good and podcast is going great. So, I mean, you can take some negatives and you can turn them into positives. Yeah. Times, you know, See, that's all, and it, it, it's rare to talk to a guy like you that, that has a good perspective. That, that, that really is. That's, a, that's refreshing for us to hear. It, it, that, that's so key. That, 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 is, that is key. And, it, you know, if you're happy, you're not working a day in your life, you know, it, it, and that, that's 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 really how it is. I mean, you we we wasted a lot of our career uh, dreading and being nervous and scared before before matches, not being able to eat the night before, and you know, it, wasting those days that we could have sat there and enjoyed it. And, and so now, so now we, you know, for the past couple of years, we really have just take it moment by, by by moment by moment, hold each other accountable about staying positive and being grateful. That, you know, this is this is a door God opened, not us. And so we, we really are. We, we, we try to just constantly keep each other up and encourage. And, you know, we have meet and greets. That, you know, these people paid to come see us. They drove four or five, flew five hours to come see us sometimes. And so, you know, we had a match in Israel. People flew from Ireland. Uh, someone from Texas came. It was just like, it was unreal. The, 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 the you know, the... The globe, people travel the globe to come see us, and it's just, it's just one big, it's one big blessing, this whole, this whole thing for us, it's been just nothing but fun. I'm sure it can be very overwhelming at times, too, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, man, it, it, it can, sometimes you just gotta sit back and, you know, just look at all this, and it's, you know, because, you know, we're, we're human, so we're day by day, and circumstances can shake, can shake us, and, and it'd be scary and stuff, but if you, if you look at your life like a big highlight video, you know, it, it's you, you see all you see all the good, and you know, um, I really am happy. My, my dad, my dad definitely had a had a nuts life, and you know, losing his brothers. And I, I only have one, but the, the one brother that I have, we're, we're you know we're extremely close. We're, we're you know we 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 know the other one's gonna stay before we say it. We know, and my dad had that with you know five five other men. Five other men were just like him. Now my dad. You know, he kind of sticks out. He's different, but he has five other guys that were just like him. And to lose that, it must have been a really heavy burden to, to bear. And so, my, and so, being able to wrestle and come home and have these road stories, and my dad relate. It's like he has his brothers back. And so, we've gotten even closer as a family through all of this. You know, and it's especially Japan. Coming back from Japan, and you know, my dad, my dad, you know, he said that we left as boys and we came back as men, and it, it really. It really was like that. We were like, uh, we were like brother lions. It was just, just us versus the world. That's what it felt like when we were in Japan. Everybody wanted to test you. Everybody wanted to see what you're made of. And so we just had to, we had to fight our way out. But man, we do, we would, we do it all over again. More, uh, Fuji, Morishima, Ogawa-san, Kobashi-san, all these men sat there. And, uh, Go Shizaki, Kataro, Aoki, you know, 
know, all these guys, they taught us so much. And, and you know, they taught us the, the, the hard way. And, and now I'm nothing but grateful. Before we wrap up, are there any goals you want to get out there for 2020? And uh, anything you want to promote? Uh, man, also, we have, we, we have Twitter. We book out our Twitter. I'm Marshall Von Eric um, on Twitter. And then Ross Von Eric on Twitter. And we share on Instagram. Uh, Ram Von Eric, And that's Ross and Marshall. That's what it stands for. But, uh, you know, as far as the goals go, we're, we're, we're just continuing to, you know, to just go through the doors that open. I know I keep saying that, but that, that's really, that's really what, what, um, taking it by moment, taking life lightly. But, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I still want to be an astronaut. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but that's definitely a goal. Wow, man. I, I love to hear that. That's awesome. Have, outside yeah, the box. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. This was a real treat for me. I do this with two other buddies. We're all kind of like, we're quarantined now a little bit, so we're sending stuff in, and uh, they are definitely jealous that I got this interview. So, uh, Oh, man. <laughs> man. We really do appreciate it, and it really was refreshing to, to hear your perspective on this. Uh, just just, you know, just being, being positive during this time. You know, it's scary for a lot of people, but... To, to you know, to have a joyful conversation in a time like this yeah. is refreshing. I really appreciate that, man. No, absolutely, and yeah, for me personally, like I mean, like. I always had like a, I always worked out, but I had a bit of a sweet tooth. And in this time, I've uh, cut out the sweets. I've up my, I've been better oh, my diet. Job. It's not like I'm home. I'm like, why don't I make some positive changes while I'm here? You know, so it's just. You're, you're a good job. It's a way to be, man. I, I wish I could say the same, but my sweet tooth is kicked in and my gym's closed. And it's been a bit of a. It's been, a, it's been a bit of a battle, but that's still refreshing for me to hear. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, hey, have a great night. Thank you so much. Well, it's night over here, but thank you so much for uh, doing this. Uh, maybe we'll get to do this again down the road, man. Hey, brother. Hey, man, it was great talking to you. Appreciate you, bro. God bless. God bless. Have a good night. This is Rudy Gonzalez of the Texas Russell Academy here in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to the Working Stand Podcast. It's the Working Fans Podcast with Dave, and today we have a longtime wrestler, started in 1984, and a longtime trainer, Mr. Rudy Gonzalez. Rudy, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Great, man. Great. Great to have you on. I was doing a little research, and you can help me out with this. I saw that you were trained by, this is the people that listed, Manny Fernandez, Tully Blanchard, Chavo Guerrero, and Ken Timms? Yeah, and the, and the name goes, the names go on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. Back then, we didn't have an actual wrestling school where you trained like like now you train to be a wrestler. So actually, actually, I started training in 1982. Southwest did have a wrestling school, but it was mainly like Larry Lane was a trainer of that, and he did a lot of just amateur wrestling, a lot of cardio stuff and stuff like that. And I guess that was the start of your, you know, if you continued, you would later go on and, and uh, train to be a professional wrestler but that ended up dissolving and i you know they asked me if i could help train some guys here and there and i did but i didn't know what the hell i was doing you know and it was to me just let's get in the ring and practice doing this or, or whatever and then when i you know somewhere in there you know they asked me to, to uh, you know i was i was traveling with the group also and, and uh, selling t-shirts and stuff like that and then somewhere during that time they asked me to Referee some matches, and I did. And then, you know, on occasion, maybe like like you know, Manny Fernandez would say, "Hey, what are we doing tomorrow morning?" 
you know, and so I'm, I was open to anything, so I was like nothing. And so, well, meet me at the at the ring at you know ten o'clock in the morning, or or Chaba would tell me that, or or Ken Sims was like, hey, you want to do some cardio? Sure, all right, meet, meet me at the junction where where we did our TV shows. Meet me at the junction at eleven o'clock, and or Dick Slater would would say, you know. When a guy does this, you should do that. Or, you know, different guys gave me different little tips here and there. So I learned a little bit from every. Kelly Blanchard was like, one day he came in and he's like, hey, let me teach you how to do a bike round. And I said, okay. So he scoots, he told me where to put my hands, all the other stuff, whatever. And he scoots me up and he slams me. And he's like, how does that feel? Uh, I, 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 I guess it's a, I never took a bike round before. So right. Like, you know? <laughs> and so, oh no, he ended up giving me like, 10 body slams one day and I never gave him any though and so smart guy <laughs> that's how I learned how to do a body slam <laughs> by taking them 10 times in a row by you know by Kelly Blanchard and the rest of the day the next two days my back felt like it was blown up it was just like you know it, I, I, I at that, to that point I'd never felt that way before and then as time went on then you get used to it stuff like that but yeah, I had a, you know, I love those guys because they were the ones that really gave me the most time. But I mean, there are a lot of guys, you know, in the dressing room, it was like a, a, a classroom in itself, you know. They just always giving you tips and advice during there, you know. Hmm. Now, would you say you had a pretty good entry into the business? I mean, I've heard some stories where guys, I mean, I'm sure they definitely, they, they tested you, but you've heard some brutal stories too of guys getting legs broken and stuff. It sounds like you had a, a lot of people at least willing to help you out. You know what? In all honesty, I'll, you know, and I'm not, you know, trying to sugarcoat nothing. But I, I said it before, though. But I, I never had a guy that ever tried to abuse me or try and, you know, freak me out. I guess I don't know. I, that, you know, I hear guys that say, "Oh yeah," you know, you hear the whole Hogan story. Right. You know, the guy that broke him in snapped his ankle, and you hear Al Snow talk about, you know, Oli and those guys would, you know, or whoever would nail guys and stretch them and stuff in the ring, and that, and I. I've seen guys do that, but it was never done to me. I was I was always treated right, you know? And, uh, and I think a lot of it had to do with, I gave I gave all the older guys the respect that they, I felt like they deserved. I always, and that's just the way I was raised. I was always, yes sir, no sir, no ma'am, yes ma'am. Yeah. Uh, do you mind if I do this? Can I help you with that? That type of stuff. That'll and, open some doors for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and, and no one ever told me, but I did it. No one ever told me you gotta carry in the veteran's luggage. And I did, if I was driving my stuff, hey, you want me to grab your bag as well? And, you know, yeah, sure, okay. And I did, you know, I, you know, I didn't, I was never told this, but I did it. I was always the guy that drove guys around. I was never told you gotta pay your dues by driving everybody, but I didn't mind. I, you know, and to this day, I enjoy driving. When I go on road trips with my guys, you can ask them down to, you know, the most recent trip we ever made, who does the driving? And they'll say me, because I enjoy driving. You know, so I, I was never abused by anybody. Closest I can say I was tested was when I, the first day I worked, I had a match in, in Laredo, Mexico. It was against a guy named Solar. And luckily, you know, due to my, you know, my amateur wrestling training, which wasn't a whole lot, <laughs> but it was something, Solar tried to stretch me. And I could I could tell, you know, and I knew. And I didn't let him. And I mean, I'm not saying I, I was fighting back with him stuff. I just wouldn't let him stretch me. And so he, when we went to the back, he told me, you know, I did well and stuff. And then the next day, the next week, I went back there. Another guy named Guerrero Negro tried to do the same thing. He wasn't as, you know, years later, or later on, I found out he wasn't as skilled. Solaro was actually an Olympic wrestler. Uh. Uh, Guerrero Negro was just a guy that knew how to shoot. And then he tried to do the same thing and say, you know, same thing. I wouldn't let him do it. 
And, and then the third week was a guy named Mono Negro, I think it was. And he tried to, he, you know, he tried to, I shouldn't say shoot on me. They just tried, they, they said, and I wouldn't let them. And then, you know, I guess those were three guys that, you know, that were testers, I guess. And, or, I don't know. And so then after that, I just, I matches were a lot easier and guys, you know. But I was never, I was never abused as, you know, breaking in and stuff, you know. No, that's good. That's good to hear. You debuted in 1984, right? What was that again? Did you debut? It was it 1984? Was your debut? I, I, yeah, I, I, I actually my first match was uh, February 6, 1984. Wow. Uh, how many different territories did you work? I I started watching you. I want to say the first time I remember you was like in the 90s. I saw you doing some enhancement stuff with WWE, but you had a long career before that. I started with Southwest Wrestling. South. Okay. Yeah, with Joe Blanchard and and Tully and Manny, all those guys down there. And then Southwest shut down, and a guy named Fred Darren took over, and he started a group called Texas All Star Wrestling. And I worked with them, and it was based out of it was based out of, you know here in Texas. I worked briefly for World Class, and then Fred was actually the local promoter for World Class Wrestling, and then he created bought out Southwest Wrestling and created Texas All-Star Wrestling. And so, and then when Fred ended up shutting down, you know, and I, I did a couple of trips to Florida and, you know, different other spots, but nothing like, you know, where I lived there forever and ever. So when Fred shut down, you know, by that time, the independence started like sprouting up. So there are a few guys here and there that did some shows around Texas. And then one day Dusty Wolf asked me if, if I could, if I was free to make a, to, to fly to, fly, it might have been like Indianapolis or something like that, or I was sure for what. And he said, well, you know, Vince needs some guys. And so, you know, would you mind? And I said, he goes, and he told me, your flight's paid for, you get paid this much money, your hotel, I think, I think, I, I don't remember, I think the hotel was paid for also. And uh, I was like, sure, you know. So I flew up and did some enhancement stuff with, with WWF. And then I started going down to Mexico like I said, and that was like three, four days out of the week. And, you know, the time that I would come back to, to the States, it just so happened that it was time for another WBF loop. So, you know, I was doing that back and forth. And then Joe Blanchard called me one day and he said, what are you doing for, for money? And I said, well, I'm going, I'm doing this and this and, and whatever. And he said, would you mind helping me with some stuff I have to do with World Championship Wrestling and, or NWA? And I said, sure, what do I got to do? He goes, well, I'm the event coordinator and I need help doing stuff. So could, would you mind helping me? So, you know, and the thing was that, was that Joe was, you know, he had a back hip and he was, you know, it was hard for him to get around stuff. So I was going to be the guy to drive him around and help him do whatever he needed to do. But he was also in charge of one of the rings. And when I first started, that's what I did was the ring. So I took... I started doing that with him, and then one day somebody, I think like Ricky Morton or Kevin Sullivan said, you know, hey, this kid can work, because they knew me from, from Joe stuff. And so I got to do a couple of shows for, for you know, for NWA, WCW. I refereed for them, thing, and, and then at the same time doing the WWF trips, and then going back and forth to Mexico. And then before I knew it, you know, I was, you know, I, and, and doing the local, you know, indie shows around Texas. And then before I knew it, Sean called and asked me to run help him run to school. That was like in 1999, 1998. Now you seem like a guy, you're a hard worker from what I can tell. For you, what was uh, probably one of the more challenging things about the business? Was it the travel or the bumps or what was uh, for you one of the more difficult things? Staying busy. I mean, the travel's always going to be there yep. no matter, 
you know, no matter what, I mean, if you're going to do this, you you know, you're going to have to travel. The bumps, <laughs> they're there. Right. You can't, you know, you can't say, I am not going to bump for you. Just staying busy, man, because I was, I came in at a time when, you know, all these big guys were running all over the place and Kerry Von Erich and Lex Luger and stuff. And so there really wasn't a whole lot of room for smaller guys like me. I could work, but I, I'm very upfront about this. I could work and I understood working. I just wasn't the bodybuilder guy. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the most charismatic guy. You know, I'm not Eddie Gilbert. I'm not Tom Pritchard. I'm not Brad Armstrong. I'm not, you know. So, you know, my my uh, opportunities were kind of limited. But, you know, I mean, that's why I went to Mexico. Because there in Mexico, believe it or not, I'm 5'8". But in Mexico, uh, I'm, a, you know, I'm a lot bigger than a lot of guys there. So I got a lot of work down there. But the most challenging part, I guess, was just was just staying busy at that time. You know, and... and and uncertainty, you know, you just you just didn't know when you were going to work again or when was your last working day or, you know. The politics and stuff, that was, that, I've never had a problem with that. That was, uh, I just, I just tried to stay away from it. I wasn't, I didn't, I got along with a lot of guys, whether they were on this side of the fence or that side of the fence. But, yeah, I, I would say the most challenging part was just, we're just staying busy and paying the bills. Hmm. Obviously, you work with, you said, the Texas Wrestling Academy with Sean there. Do you uh, do you have a preference between, you know, being an active competitor or teaching? Do you have one that you like more than the other or both different? I, I, honestly, in all honesty, I didn't get into pro wrestling to be a wrestler. I didn't, you know, and that's probably why all the other stuff, the charisma stuff and all that, that's probably, you know, all that's probably tied up into that package there. I didn't get into pro wrestling to wrestle. Like, I'm the pro wrestling to learn the wrestling business. But... In high school, you know, after high school, my dreams or, or whatever were to be a football coach for my mm. for my high school. Yeah, and, and so I mean, like when I and that's what drew me into Southwood wrestling was the fact that Kelly Blanchard was a quarterback here in San Antonio. He was a, a high profile quarterback. Yeah, and then there was Manny Fernandez and Bruiser Brody and Wahoo was here. Wahoo, I recognize his name from playing for the New York Jets and I believe the Houston Oilers years ago. Ernie Ladd came through here. Ernie Ladd played for the you know for the Oilers, I believe. So many football guys in that territory back yeah, then. Exa- exactly, and so that kind of like drew me in the the relationship with football and wrestling. There was a time in, in actually in '98 when Sean called the very week that Sean called me to run a school, I quit. And then it wasn't the first time I, had, you know, it, I, I'd actually, you know, and I'm not proud to say this, but one, at one point I actually walked out of a ring because I was just so, so frustrated, so angry with, with the way things were and, and, you know, that type of stuff. And so when Sean called and asked me, and so, so back to, you know, when I quit, I actually just walked out and just grabbed my stuff. I gave my payday back to the promoter. Hmm. Back to Booker, who coincidentally was Jose Lothario. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, who also ran Sean School. So when Sean called me and he asked me to, to help him with the school, the first thing I told him was, you know, was, I, I really don't want to wrestle, Sean. He said, I'm not asking you to wrestle. I'm asking you to help train my guys. And I was like, well, in that case, you know, then I'm in. You know, the, and we hadn't even talked about money yet. Hmm. But. You know, as far as, you know, wrestling and training, man, my, you know, I would much rather train guys and develop guys and, you know, watch them come, become from nothing to, to something, you know, the, the biggest, and I'm not saying because it's him, but one of the, 
you know, actually two of the biggest accomplishments that I, you know, I, I feel like I've done is creating two young men that were, you know, you know, eyes wide open and, you know, wet behind the ears of Brian Danielson and Brian Kendrick. And then 20 years later, Brian Danielson is like the biggest name of the business, one of the biggest names of the business. And Brian Kendrick is, he's up there as well. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a story. I've been, I watched wrestling since the 80s. I'm 43. Grew up on the Hogan's and, you know, I transferred, started really liking the Bret Hart's and the Perfects. And out of the last, Gosh, 10, 15 years. If there's one guy who has constantly kept me interested on the main, like, you know, top level national scene, it's Brian Danielson. Like, his matches are just so compelling and he's so good at being, he can be a great heel too, but he's a really good babyface. And he's one of those guys that really draw you in and you want to root for. The, the first thing Brian Kendrick asked me and Brian Danielson was right next to him was, am I too small? Hmm. Am, I, am I too small to be to do this? And Brian Danielson looked at him and then looked at us as we and Tom standing next to her. Like, you know, yeah, are we too small? Because they're the same size. Right. And, uh, and, you know, Sean said, no, not at all. What do you think? And I'm like, I don't think so. Mm. I'm the same size as they are, you know. I was, so if I if I laughed up to that point where I was in like 15 years, 16 years or so, if I was still in it, I didn't see why they couldn't. So it was just a matter of putting the work, and both of those boys have, you know. And uh, so seeing them develop the way they have, man, it's like, you could put the world title on me. You could, I, I don't know, it, 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 nothing can compare to seeing those two boys, you know. And anyone else that I've, that I've trained comes from, you know, point A to point C to wherever they're at and be as, as, as good as they are. You know, so, so yeah, training part by far is, is what I enjoy doing the most. Now, from a training perspective, was there anybody that you saw right away and you knew almost instantly okay this guy could be a star and on the flip side which is somebody said hmm i don't know and that guy ended up being like a big surprise to you all the time <laughs> all the time sean had some you know brian and brian i'm not gonna say we didn't think we knew they would you know we both knew they would they would do well hmm. just not i didn't think they would do sean may say differently because he knows more than i do i guess but i didn't think they would be at this you know, this far in the game. I didn't think they would be the names they are now. Mm. On the other side of that, man, we had guys, there was a kid that came in from the University of Washington, I believe. And I remember pulling him up, Brian something or other. I remember I pulled him up to look him up and stuff. And he was like an All-American. He was, he was, um, but the only thing was he had knee surgery in his senior year. And so his draft, his position on the draft dropped quite a bit. And so he said, well, screw it, I'll try wrestling. And he was a big kid, athletic as hell. He just had a shitty attitude, mm. you know? And, you know, you just don't do that with Sean. And there are a couple other guys, man. There was, there was another kid who played, actually was on the practice squad for the Washington Redskins. His name was Kevin. Uh, huge kid, man. And, again, athletic. If you would have put the Kane mask on him, you would tell you couldn't tell a difference. <laughs> he was different. Yeah, and we called him Kane. But I don't know, just something just, it's like the bigger guys, you know, that they, the guys that, you know, that we were like, oh, yeah, he's going to make it. Those are the guys that they just put in, you know, and I know I'm doing, I'm putting like, I'm throwing like a blanket over all of them, but, you know, might as well. But <laughs> the bigger guys that came in and you're like, you know, you know that that guy has it, you know, they were the guys that came in and put in the less, you know, the least amount of effort. And that sucked because we, you know, we always, Pitch the guys, you know, you, you get in what you, you know, you put in, you take out what you put in. And so these guys, you know, they, because I guess 
they were bigger and stuff like that. They just didn't feel like they had to do as much. Meanwhile, you know, Brian Danielson and Brian Kinder, they, you know, they talked about it many times. Meanwhile, the smaller guys would try and find as much time to get in the ring, and, and there were times when training was over, you know, and, and those guys would, you know, hey, can we stick around and try some other stuff? Mm. Can you hang out with us a little bit longer and teach us some other? And sure, but meanwhile, the other, the bigger guys were like, you know, ah, I'll see you tomorrow, coach. You know, and then walk out. Yeah. And, you know, so the smaller guys, it seemed like they had a chip on their shoulder of some type. They worked harder. They, you know, the matches were always, like you said, com- compelling. They weren't always punch and kick and that type of stuff. It, it's just weird. So, I mean, you know, there was, uh, as far as, you know, the guys that we thought we would make it and didn't, there were several. And a lot of them were the guys that were 6'2 and 250 and those type of guys. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I remember I was uh, I started jujitsu last year, and there were a lot of guys. A lot of it came down to attitude, like you know we've been talking about. Like there were guys. If you were humble and you'd go in and you're willing to learn, even if you weren't good at first, you could get better. But if you had a bad attitude, even if you were like athletically gifted, and there was a more experienced guy who could take you down on the mat and submit you, and you didn't handle it well, you knew that guy wasn't going to last very long. I mean, and I tell my students just all the time. I mean, I'd much rather work with a guy and train a guy that's humble and, you know, is willing to work hard. You know, doesn't have to be the greatest athlete in the world. Doesn't have to be the most talented. Doesn't have to be the most anything. Just come in and willing to learn and work. Then a guy who is the biggest athlete, who is the most talented, who, you know, those guys seem to feel like they're uh, they're entitled. Yeah. You know, I guess. And it's just, especially in pro wrestling, it just doesn't work that way, man. No, and that, that's a great life lesson, too, because, I mean, I've managed a store before, too, a grocery store, and it was always, like, the kids who were willing to try and had good attitude that you wanted to work with, even if somebody else was just naturally better and quicker at a job, but if he just had a poor attitude after a while, you're just like, just get this kid out of here. Get me someone who just wants to do his job, you know? It gets old. There was a guy, <laughs> there was a guy that were, we were a, uh, Brian and, and some of the boys had just gotten their tryout with WWE and so of course the buzz around the gym was you know who's going to be next and so there was one kid he was like 6'2 and uh, he was he was stacked pretty well he was a good looking kid so he said he was about 6 foot I'd say I don't know and so somehow or another he, the conversation came up where you know I'm going to get a tryout and stuff like that and somebody said something like you know well what makes you think you're going to get a tryout he goes well I'm just as big as Hunter, <laughs> and me and Sean, we were talking, and I heard that, and Sean, like, turned around and looked at him, and whoever he was talking to was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I look, I almost look just like him. And he looked at Sean, he goes, isn't that right, Sean? And Hunter was, <laughs> Hunter was a beast. Right. I've seen him, and, and these, these two look nothing alike. And Sean just like, oh, I can't tell the difference. Man. <laughs> hey, you're right, I can't tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch the sarcasm, so he goes, see, I told you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, you were part of an angle, I think, in Ring of Honor for a bit where, um, I don't know what to call it an angle, but some of your students would wrestle and they would have you in the corner. How was that? Like, how was that relationship? Like, how did that come about? So, when Sean was running his promotion, Rob Feinstein came down and recorded some matches. Rob Feinstein and Doug Gentry. And got to meet him, good guys. You know, help them out with whatever they needed help on. They were nice also. They're, you know, and so then they were down here, I guess, for a week or so, for a weekend. And so then a couple of years, you know, a year or so later, you know, now I'm stuck with the, you know, Sean gave me the promotion, so I'm stuck with everything. And I'm not Sean Michaels, so I'm trying to figure out a way to get my school out there, you know, and the students and, and what have you. So I'm scrolling through the internet, 
There was a guy named, I don't remember what his name was, hmm. but he ran a promotion. He tried to run a promotion called Major League Wrestling or something, or Main Event Wrestling. Okay. And so he couldn't get he couldn't get anybody on that show. He said, on my next show, I'll bring you up here with bring your student creatures. I said, all right. At the same time, I'm talking to Rob Feinstein. They're putting out a buzz about starting a promotion as well. So I messaged Rob, hey, you know, you think maybe, you know, I don't know if you remember me or not, but it's Rudy Gonzalez down here in San Antonio. And Rob was like, yeah, we got to know you are, sure, no problem. So we talked a little bit back and forth. Meanwhile, the guy that was running the main event thing, he ran a show, and I believe everybody just checked bounced and it was a big mess. So I was like, ah, screw that. So Rob said, you know, I can't, you know, it was, it was Rob. Doug Gentry and Gabe Sapolsky. I didn't know Gabe at the time, man. So Rob said, I can't guarantee you a spot, but if you want to come up here, you know, if anything opens up, you know, I didn't want to have to put a couple of guys on. I said, all right. So I got my guys together and I said, hey, in a few weeks, we're going to, who wants to go to Philadelphia? This is what's going on. And I really have, and I really did. I really had a good feeling with Ring of Honor because Rob was involved and, and the way it sounded and some of the guys they had on there. I never met AJ Styles or Amazing Red or Xavier or some of those guys, but I read about them on the internet. Hmm. And I told the guys that I really have a good feeling about this. It's a good opportunity. Plus the guy, they'd already had Brian Danielson on the show and Brian Kendrick and, and so my guys, I had a bunch of guys that said, all right, let's go. Hmm. So we went up there, and uh, sure enough, Gabe and Rob and, and Doug, they, they gave us the first match, I think it was, and it was a Texas Wrestling Academy challenge or something. And so when that came out really good, the boys all worked hard. And, you know, same, I try to have my guys mirror me as far as yes or no sir, that type of stuff. I guess they, uh, I don't know, I guess they rubbed you know the powers that be the right the right way and so uh, uh when the show was over gabe came up and said if you guys want to you know if you guys want to come up here again i'll have a spot for you guys and so we just started going up there and before he knew it it was you know i took some good guys up there i took paul london and michael shane and hernandez and mm. masada you know I mean, yeah. it was like, a, like an all-star group and then it was fast eddie and don juan and and so Everybody, and then on occasion, they would, they would, you know, I'd bring up another student and they'd put them in and maybe they worked out, maybe they didn't work out, but, you know, that's how it got started, you know, and, and uh, to this day, I have a good relationship with Rob Feinstein and, and Gabe. Doug Gentry passed away a few years ago, uh, you know, rest of peace, but, um, they, you know, and it's just a matter of, you know, treating, you know, treating the opportunities like they mean something and, you know, they saw that and, like I said, to this day, I have a great relationship with those guys. Some keys to success here, if people are listening here. Good attitude, networking, and timing are all important in success. Exactly, yeah. exactly. In my research, I came across something else you were involved in. And I'm going to say this. I grew up on old school wrestling, and there were a lot of stereotypes back in the day. This shit would never probably fly today. But if you know where I'm going with this or not, I don't know. I'll tell it. But uh, you were involved, I want to say it was a skit where JBL was patrolling the border of Mexico and not allowing anybody to come in he was playing this heel character to get heat and i was just curious how this came about but like i was saying there's no way this shit would ever go on right now but it was interesting i have to say so how did that happen so jbl and eddie Guerrero were doing their little program yes and so bruce Pritchard calls me and he asked me if i could find you know somebody to fill that spot of you know, he didn't tell me what it was for mm. and um, he just said i need to he said something like can you he said something like, do you have any of your friends or can you get like a Mexican family? Even the way he... <laughs> <laughs> right. Even though he presented it, 
was today you'd be like, what are you talking about, man? Are you crazy? You know, that, but something like, can you put together like a Mexican family, like your typical Mexican family, like a father and a mother and a grandmother and like a bunch of kids? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> do you have a family lying around? But not lying though. And I was like, yeah, sure. Let me see what I can do. I didn't think nothing, nothing. I was like, sure, yeah. Let me, you know. Right. And I called a couple of friends of mine that I knew, a couple of workers and stuff, and, and they're like, well, what's it for? What's it, you know, who's it for? What are they going to pay us? What's it going to be like? What, you know, what? And I'm like, I don't know, man. All I know is that, you know, this is what they asked for, and I can tell you, because Bruce didn't tell me anything else. Mm-hmm. And then I can tell you that it may be worth your time. It may be worth it. And so the two guys that I called, they're both like, nah, man, we're not going to do mm-hmm. it. You know, that, that's messed up, you know. And so I called Bruce up, and I told him I can't find anybody. So Bruce said, "Why don't you do it?" And I was like, "All right, sure. Well, I gotta do it. You know, I said I don't have. I was, you know, I was, you know, my kids. I had like three kids at the time. They're like three and four and seven. You know, and yeah. I didn't think the mom would go for it. I was like, I don't think I can get the mom and the kids to go along with it. But you know, he goes, "Don't worry about it." He goes, "I we got somebody anyway. We got we got somebody." I said, "All right." <laughs> So um, I took Paul London up there with me, and so we did this deal, man. And, and when I got there, finally, Bruce said, oh, Bruce finally explained to me. He said, okay, you know, you guys are going to be illegal aliens, and you're going to get caught crossing the border, and, Jay, you know, Layfield's going to catch you guys, and we're going to do this, this, and this. And that's how it came about. You know, it, it, we started like around 6 or 7 in the evening, and we didn't finish like 1 in the morning. Wow. And we only, took, <laughs> we only took like five takes. And you know, it's, it's just the process of doing it, you know, recording it and then re, you know, looking at the video and then yeah. trying to reposition stuff or whatever. I didn't realize it took so many, it would take so long. But at the end of the day, we got compensated. I got compensated very well. You know, I mean, it, it was, you know, we went, we did it, uh, I think it was JBL's ranch, or might have been his family's ranch or something. And uh, we went to the kitchen afterwards and Bruce opened up a briefcase with money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. Timing, man. <laughs> Just agree to do it. <laughs> I didn't think I earned this much money, but then he goes, how much do I owe you? And I'm like, I don't know, Bruce. I, you know, to me, it was nothing. Right. And he started counting off hundreds. And I was like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. So the cool thing was they we did that and then like two weeks later we're you know, WWE was in San Antonio, like for SmackDown and so I you know, whenever they came through I I take some guys to get like a little tryout or whatever stuff like work as extras and stuff. And so we were in the ring in the afternoon and I was standing off to the side by the ramp and in the corner of my eye I see this man walking down and so, you know, I didn't think anything of it. But then you know, and, I'm, and I, go, I put my attention back on the ring and I feel him grab my shoulder. Mm. Like, I just want to tell you thank you for what you did. It was greatly, it's going to help the storyline greatly. Really do appreciate it, man. It was very tremendous. I, was, I loved it. And it just like, you know, really complimented the, the whole deal and stuff. And, you know, this is like, this is band telling yeah. And so obviously I was like, well, I'm good at that. Yes, I did. You know, that type of stuff. And then, and then they showed it on the Jumbotron or the Titantron that night during SmackDown. And you could hear people in the audience, you know, we're at the, uh, I guess the time was the Coliseum, this huge venue. And, and you could hear when, when I came out there, you could hear some people like, hey, that's Rudy Gonzalez, you know, that type of stuff. <laughs> Eddie was very, you know, thank you, man. That was very cool of you to do that. And, and Layfield's, you know, said thank you as well. I mean, it was, I, I'm, I was just trying to help the company, you know, I didn't, it, it was very cool to do also. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I'll tell you what, even though I didn't know you were doing that at the time, I remember that angle very well, like when it first came out. And, you know, it was it was different. And 
I remember it got good heat on the angle. It made JBL a great heel. So I mean, hey, it worked. And it was, I think it was called like one of the greatest moments of SmackDown history. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. But yeah, you're right. They couldn't do that. I don't know. Maybe they could, but I don't think it would be better not to do something like that today, you know? It, I mean, we're definitely in a very more sensitive culture, I would say that. <laughs> yeah. But what are you up to right now? Right now, I just got through washing my truck and the vacuum in. I'm getting ready to make a trip to New Mexico for a couple of days, even in the social distancing era. Just try to stay safe, man. Just try yeah. to, you know, hope this thing passes through. And, and, you know, I mean, I don't know what I would say getting back to normal, but who knows what normal is going to be in a few months or a few weeks or I don't know, you know? Yeah, I, I do look forward to the day where we can have, and I know there's bigger things to worry about, but I do look forward to the day where we can have wrestling with fans in the arena again. That would be nice to see. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah, and you're right. There are other things more important, but then again, you know what, when I was, you know, and I, and I brought this up to other people as well, was when I came in, one of the things I was told was pro wrestling, wrestling fans come to see the wrestling shows to take their mind off of right. everything else in the world. You know, the, the you got the guys that are, you know, construction workers, you have the doctor lawyers, you have the professionals, you have the, you know, blue collar guys sitting in the, in the, in the crowd, you know, kicking yeah. Cheering and booing, and they just, they, you have poor people, you have, you know, well off, you have all different people from every corner of the spectrum, and they're all sitting there just forgetting about, you know, and if there was a way to do this stuff, I mean, WWE's doing a very good job, I think, mm-hmm. and Nipek, and I guess, are doing a good job of trying to keep the product out there, and, you know, people sitting back, and, and it's a little, it's a little differently, it's a little different now, because the fans aren't, boo, yay, that right. kind of stuff. The fans now are like, oh, they they messed the spot up. Oh my god! Right. Oh my god! <laughs> it's just enjoy the matches, man. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy. You know, I'm sure because I've been in that position. I'm sure they're you know they're not really. You know, I, I'm gonna put it this way. I'm sure it's not that easy to sit there and go through all the motions you go through in a, in a course of a wrestling match in front of nobody. I'll say this as a fan for many years, like I never noticed it, but you know, you look watching the match and uh, I can tell like when some people are instinctively playing to a crowd that's not there. But then I've noticed in some other matches where I've noticed where the people that are more vocal and maybe a little louder and can talk trash during a match, their matches seem to get a little more, a little more over with me. I get more invested in that. I'm like, okay, so they're verbally kind of pulling me in. Right, right. It's a different deal, man. I mean, it's, I admire those guys because, you know, I mean, it, especially the younger guys that are working because they've never, you know, they, they, this is a new deal to them. They're used to being in front of, you know, at yeah. the AT&T Center or whatever, you know, the big arenas and stuff for Raw SmackDown. And, you know, a lot of the older guys, you know, are probably like, you know, just shut up and get out there. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, that's just, you know, back in the day, man, it, even though you, we talk about, you know, old school wrestling stuff, there were some shitty crowds back in the day that, mm-hmm. you know, and the, and the attitude was you do the same stuff you would do if there were five people or as if there were 500 people. If there's five, if there's five people, do you want to try and draw in and, and, and you know, bring in more people and, and build up the audience. And guys, they don't understand that, you know. So I get it, and, and, and I'm, you know, 
And I will say this, guys like Brian Danielson, he, I saw a match he had the other night with Cesaro. I can tell, like, they're probably used to having been in that position before. And you can tell, and it shows in a match where they just, they go out there and just concentrate on telling the story of their match. And it's more engaging because of that. So, so nowadays, okay, you're, and you're exactly right. Years ago, when we were starting, when Brian and Brian, when these guys were breaking in at Shaw's place, we, were, we would do a TV show, and we'd have three, four hundred people, whatever, mainly because it was Shaw you know, well, partly because it was Sean's promotion, and but you know that we grew so many. But it was also because the kids were out there working their butts off. But I really feel like if you just said, you know, these wrestling students are going to put on a show, we wouldn't have had that many people. So a lot, of, I, I think, part of that had to do with Sean being out there. But when we would go to the towns. There were some places that we did, you know, that we did shows at where there were 20 or 30 or 10, you know. And Brian, I remember those guys were like, how are you supposed to wrestle in front of these people? And hmm. me and Sean were very adamant with like, go out there and just do your thing. Just work your ass off. Just, you know, we were very adamant about it. It didn't matter how many, how few there were. Just go out there and work. Hmm. And, so, and so now... When, like, uh, the first match I saw was, like, I think the first match was Brian with Gulak, Lord, uh, Drew Gulak, and they beat each other up. That was, like, one of the first matches, the one of the first no-audience matches they had. Yeah. They went out there and beat each other up, man. It was like, and I was like, holy shit. And my girlfriend, Michael, was like, they're really laying it in. And I was thinking, well, that's how we, that's how we taught them. You know, that's how, <laughs> you know, at least Brian, anyway, I guess Lori caught on, but, or Drew caught on, but. That's how we taught them, you know, whether there's five people or 500, you got to go out there and, and perform, you know. Is there anything you want to promote before you let you go? My wrestling school, Texas Wrestling Academy. If you, you know, there's a lot of schools out there. Uh, there's very few that actually have trainers that with the experience. And, and I, I'm not really knocking anybody, but it has to be said. I mean, it's it's just, just based on what we talked about. You know, we, we just talked about was just doing stuff the right way. And, you know, there's a lot of schools that there are a lot of trainers like, you know, if you don't draw anybody, you suck. And that's not true. It's just if you don't draw anybody, you just got to work harder. And so, you know, if you want to learn how to do this stuff the right way and, and have a chance and be relevant and, and have a, you know, come from a reputable school, Texas Wrestle Academy underscore SA is our email address. That's our Facebook page, Texas Wrestle Academy. And just say, hey, I want to be a wrestler and you know, I'll send you all the information you need. And even though we're in this coronavirus thing going on, I mean, we're doing, we're doing some stuff to try and work around it. Smaller groups, you know, I'm starting a, another class, I'm starting a, a class, a group June 1st and it means dividing the groups into groups of you know five six or whatever that's so be it but yeah I mean Texas Wrestling Academy that's the place where you want to go if you want to learn how to do the stuff correctly awesome man awesome thank you so much man this was great I, I appreciate your time you're a great storyteller this was really good man I appreciate it thank you not a problem anytime alright everybody welcome to the 531 where we take our top 5 lists on a particular subject debate it down to a top 3 and then further debate it down to a top one. This week, we're doing top Texas wrestlers. First off, we got Jesse from New Hampshire. He's got Steve Austin, Dusty Rhodes, Dan Hansen, Terry Funk, Barry Windham, and he's got two honorable mentions, Dory Funk Jr. and Kerry Von Erich. Not bad, not bad. Man. Dory Funk Jr., old school. Yeah, very much so. Next up, we got Ryan Conway from the Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Group. He's got Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, Steve Austin, Eddie Guerrero, and JBL. Hey. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I missed that. I fell asleep when you mentioned Dory Funk. 
<laughs> JBL's on the list, though. That's cool. Yeah, I think it might be one of the only times he pops up, but he's somebody that you don't, I don't, I don't think you think of him as much on the Mount Rushmore of Texas wrestlers. No, no he, I mean, obviously, being the longest reigning SmackDown champion, he belonged on some list. Yeah, but there's just so many great Texas wrestlers, too. I think that's why he might not make this list on, on a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. Jose Lothario's coming up. Oh, super soft. Yeah, moving on, we got a list Justin Allen from the Rockin' Randy's Rockin' Wrestling Group. Mm. And it's Justin Allen, Justin Allen, Justin Allen, Justin Allen, Bruiser Brody made. I feel like he should have probably made more. He should have, but like you said, there's so many wrestlers from Texas. Like, if you look at Zach Slick, Shawn Michaels, Stone Cold, Harry Von Eric, The Undertaker, and Dusty Rhodes. I like the way you say The Undertaker. (laughs) (laughs) We got Albert Pettis from Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Group. Oh, my boy Albert. And it's from Voluntown. Don't forget. (laughs) (laughs) Mike Flynn from Parts Unknown has Shawn Michaels, Mm. Stone Cold, Eddie Guerrero, Dusty Rhodes, and Keith Lee, surprisingly, but not, I wouldn't say it's an unfair vote, but he's a little on the newer end of Texas wrestlers. What do you guys think? Uh, Not quite there yet. But, man, we could be talking about him someday. He's definitely got all the potential in the world. AJ.
Undertaker. All right. <clears throat> AJ, I'll go. I'll let you main event this week. Absolutely. Right. Go for it. HBK, Dusty Rhodes, of the Woods, baby. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Terry Funk, for all you egg-sucking dogs out there, and Kerry Von Erich, which, by the way, I do want to give an honorable mention to Kevin Von Erich, who was actually my favorite of all of them, but... Kerry did have the NWA world title and the WWF Intercontinental title, so that's why I went with Kerry. Hey, little fact about Kevin. I think he might be the father of next week's guest, if I'm not mistaken. A spoiler alert. Yeah, or this week's, depending on how this works. But yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's they're coming. They're coming. Yeah, good point. Uh, I don't know how the editing is going to work out, so it might be this week's guest. Yeah. Fucking listen and find out. Yeah. <laughs> You tell him the main point is we should hear you get top guests week after week, and you gotta tune in to find out who we got. That's right. We won't just tell you the description of the episode. You gotta blindly <laughs> tune the fuck in. <laughs> tell us, AJ. Well, no, no, you don't need blindly tune in. We just need blind the legion. Absolutely. Yeah, I gave five plus an honorable mention. Dick Murdoch, I believe, was one of your guys. It's a good pick. Dirty Dick Murdoch could also cut a hell of a promo. I believe he was famous for saying, good pussy in Voluntown. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, he, he probably hung out in Voluntown for all those good lynching trees, right? Uh, <laughs> they're doing their inside, guys. Let's change 
says, we're not racist, but the subject of our list, maybe. Yes. So who do you guys see as the top three Texas wrestlers? It's got to be HBK, Steve Austin, and The Undertaker, right? Did you, did you keep track of that? Wow. Well, I mean, I felt like I heard HBK, Stone Cold on every list, but I also heard like felt like Undertaker, Cherry Funk, and Dusty made every list, too. Redheads are great. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Jack St. John. Redheads, good pussy. All right, so we got... case, my vote would be for Dusty. Are we, just, are we skipping right to the end? Because I'm going for Dusty, too. <laughs> Alright. Let's have Dusty bump off Taker. And then we have Dusty, Stone Cold, and who's the other two? Or who's the last one? Stone Cold versus Shawn Alright. Stone Cold already beat that piece of trash at WrestleMania 14. I was there. He moves on. But he ain't shit compared to Dusty Rhodes. Dusty's the greatest Texas wrestler of all time. Suck this working fan's dick. Not bad for the son of a plumber. <laughs> what do you got, Joe? Yeah, now he's what? I got Dusty. He's got to be the king of the Texas wrestlers, right? He's the king of the Texas bull rope, man. So, so here's, the, here's how I... This is why I fought Dusty. Dusty, to me, is the number one. And the reason why is when I think of Texas wrestling, as much as we think of the Texas Rattlesnake, we think of them WWE. We don't really think of them as Texas wrestling. Mm. Even though he started off in USWA, even though he had the tattoo, even though he loved Texas, that's not what I think of. Dusty Rhodes, even though he started off in Florida, I think Texas wrestling. Now, i got to make a note. Isn't it sad that after all the Von Erics have given for wrestling, that, I mean, they were in the discussion, but they didn't make it to the top. That's got to say something. Well, here's the thing. The Von Erics are legendary. They're awesome. And, you know, if you're talking about world class, that's probably the greatest Texas wrestling promotion of all time. The problem is they stayed in that territory, really. They didn't branch out as much as Dusty and some of these other guys. 
Had they? No, they reached out to Israel, though. Oh, they're big in Israel. Well, they find out when they listen. They are. Well, not only, not only that, but they burnt out so quickly. They were such a bright star for such a short period of time, and they burnt out so quickly. Well, I mean, compared to some of guys. Yeah, you talk about only really a five-year span when they were on top of the world. At the end, Thank you. At the end of the day, I love me some Von Erics. They're probably my favorites, besides Dusty, on this list. Um, actually, if we're going to do favorites on this list, man, I don't know. It gets tougher because, like, Kevin Von Erich, Terry Funk, HBK, and Dusty are kind of probably my favorite wrestlers on this list. The fact of the matter is, if you ask any one of those guys we talked about who's the best, they're going to tell you Dusty. Now, are there any other states that have produced this thick a crop of wrestlers? Yes. Maybe Minnesota? Yes, Minnesota. Damn right. That's what I was going to say. Minnesota. Uh, not only Minnesota, but since let's face it, they're basically the 51st state we can do Canada. <laughs> well, uh, Canada has produced a lot of great wrestlers. They're not the 51st state, but actually Florida. Was I thought nice. you were going to say Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico gives us a good amount of wrestlers. Yeah. Absolutely, but they're not good enough to be a state. We own them. That's just a territory. <laughs> Wait. Well, goddamn, I guess we're going to end on that note. Uh, <laughs> Puerto Rico really gave us some wrestling to do anyway. Abdul the Butcher? Fuck that guy. I never want him on this show. Uh, he's important. We like Pedro, but Abby can suck a dick. Yeah, well, in fairness, he did spread hepatitis. Yes, he did. Allegedly. And how about everybody spread the word of the Working Fans Podcast? Yes. We got a YouTube channel popping off. We got, obviously, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much wherever you get podcasts, we're at. Great interviews. Yeah, I'm trying to get us as much original content as I can for the YouTube channel. That's right. We got it all, baby. Good pussy on the way. All right, we'll see you. We'll see you guys next week. Take it easy. See you down the road. Joey. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 